0: Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome, one and all. It's great to see everybody here this morning. Welcome on this uh, cold January morning into our sanctuary. where We come to worship God and to fellowship with one another. Welcome, especially if you're a visitor today. We're delighted that you're here. We hope you feel very much at home among us, and we certainly want to welcome everybody and invite you to sign the friendship pad, which is the maroon pad on the inside aisle of each pew. If you would please uh, find that and sign your name to it and then pass it down the pew, and you can see uh, who's worshiping with you, and you can greet them uh, personally in just a little while. Please do see the yellow visitor bags that are out in the narthex. If you're visiting with us this morning, those yellow bags contain lots of information about the church, and you can find your place for yourself or for your family to, uh, to, to be welcomed in and to serve here in our congregation. A few things about worship this morning. We're delighted to see a baptismal rose on the baptismal font, and that rose is given in uh, glory to God for the birth of Micah Peter Bowman on January the 22nd. Of course, uh, Micah's grandmother, Beth Bowman, is right back here in her usual spot, and we're so Uh, delighted for you and your family. Micah was born to uh, Matt and Amanda Bowman, who are both uh, Presbyterian ministers, and so uh, they serve over in the North Carolina area, and we're grateful for the birth of little Micah Peter, grateful, Beth, for you and your family. Please say a prayer of gratitude for his birth and uh, be praying uh, for him and his parents and his grandmother as they celebrate his entry into the world. Other things about this morning's worship service, we're always grateful when we have a fifth grade worship leader help us, and that's today, Wells Grantham, and so he'll be a fifth grade worship leader, he'll be uh, saying the prayer for illumination and reading the Old Testament lesson this morning, so thank you, Wells, for that. There's a new children's program, Worship Works, that's in the afternoon, starting at 4.30, they had a great start last uh, Sunday afternoon, it's in the Blue Room, Noah's Ark Room, it's a mixture of choir, and then there'll be some drama, some really fun elements for our children to come. And so please do check that out if you haven't already come to the Worship Works program this afternoon at 4.30. Uh, today, of course, uh, the, Janu- the last Sunday in January is always the annual meeting of the congregation. And we'll have that meeting um, at the end of our worship service. We will have our, our final hymn, and then uh, I'll invite everybody to be seated for that congregational meeting before we have our benediction. And if, you, if you're if you visiting with us this morning and can't stay, that's fine. If you need to slip out for any reason, then uh, you can certainly do so after the, uh, the, the closing hymn, and then we'll hand out the annual reports if you haven't received one already, and then we'll have our congregational meeting uh, hearing a report from the nominations committee as well as the stewardship committee also. So, Please do stay for that. That's going to be a, immediately following this service. Guess who's coming to dinner is next weekend, Saturday the 5th of February. If you haven't signed up for that, then please do. It's always a fun evening where uh, hosts don't know who's coming and you don't know where you're going until you receive an email at about uh, 6 o'clock that evening. So we've got, had great sign up so far, so please do sign up for that and uh, enjoy that time of fellowship next uh, Saturday evening. And then last but not least, don't forget about the youth auction that's coming up on March the 6th. That's a Sunday evening, and uh, we'll have our, our usual format there in the activity center, and there'll be lots of, uh, lots of great uh, events, lots of great things you can bid on to support our youth summer trips. You can buy tickets starting this week online or on Sunday mornings, and we're still open for donations of new or like new Frequently, recently new <laughs> items, maybe things that have been in your attic for 40 years or so wouldn't be the best things to give, um, but other things that are new or like new would, uh, would definitely like to receive, and uh, someone else will find them and treasure them um, as part of that youth auction. No, so please see the bulletin about that and all of the other announcements. So many great things happening in the life of our church, and we want everybody to find their perfect place of worship and service. Friends, those are all of our announcements. Now let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God.
1: God calls us to rejoice as we worship. God invites us into a deeper faith and a more obedient trust. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. offers us new life through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have forgiveness and love. Let us confess our sin and pray for God's mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy. We are prone to vanity in most moments of every day. We assume that we are here to stay, that we are permanently fixed, and we do not acknowledge our serious frailties. We are physically frail. We are morally frail. Have compassion on us, we pray. And forgive us in the name of Jesus Christ. Give us strength in him so that our weaknesses will be met by your grace. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. God has mercy on us, and God forgives our sins and no longer holds them against us. Let us rejoice in God's goodness. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you you. as our children come forward I invite you to greet one another with the peace of Christ
2: down this way. Come on down. Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all? Y'all know what this is? What does it look like? What do you think this is? Is it medicine? Yeah, you look so excited about medicine, right? Yeah, because sometimes we don't want to take our medicine even if we know it's what we need, right? Yeah, so it could be medicine that we need. Did you know that we can think of Jesus as medicine for our hearts and our souls? And sometimes it might be difficult for us to even hear what Jesus needs for us to know. But we need it, right? We need to hear what Jesus is wanting to teach us. Well, a long, long time ago when Jesus was just starting to teach and preach and to heal and to bring his good words to people, not everybody wanted to hear what he had to say. And there was actually a group of people, right when he was starting to go out teaching and preaching, there was a group of people who so much didn't want to hear what he had to say do you know what they did? They chased him all the way to the edge of the town and they tried to push him off of a mountain. Can you even imagine that anyone would try to push Jesus, would try to hurt him, right? Because, you know, if Jesus came in here this morning, we would welcome him, right? We would want to hear what he had to say. We would want to hear about his teaching this preaching but back then and even today too not everyone wants to hear what Jesus has to teach us. But do you know what Jesus did? He was so brave, y'all. He was so very brave. He was there on the edge of the mountain and he turned around and he faced all the people that were coming at him and wanting to throw him off this mountain. And he just walked right back through them, and he went on doing what God brought him to earth to do, to teach and preach the good news that Jesus is our Savior, and so he just went right ahead to do that. No, no, they didn't. They didn't push him because he turned around and walked right back through the crowd. That was a really good question, but he didn't let it happen. And Jesus wants us to be brave, too. Even if we have people that don't want us to share the good news of Jesus, he wants us to be brave, too, because it's important that we share his love and his forgiveness and his grace with everyone that we meet. So there might be times when you need to be brave like Jesus and walk right back through those people that don't want to hear, so you can go on and share the good news of Jesus with everyone you meet. Okay? All right, let us pray. I invite you to pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for giving us Jesus. Help us to be brave like Jesus and to always share his good news with everyone we meet. In his name we pray. Amen. You don't have to take any medicine today.
3: Let us pray. Dear God, please speak to us in these readings. Show us your will and increase our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak. For I am only a boy, but the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for... You shall not go to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you... over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant.
0: Our New Testament lesson this morning comes to us from Luke. Chapter 4, reading in verse 21, this picks up exactly where we left off last week, with Jesus in Nazareth at the synagogue in his own hometown, and he has read from Isaiah 61 about um, the Holy Spirit being upon him as the Messiah, and he has claimed this this messianic identity for himself. So then we pick up in Luke 4, now verses 21 through 30. Then Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And then they said, Now is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself, and then you will say, Do here in your own hometown all the things we heard that you did in Capernaum. And he said, Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in that prophet's own hometown, and the truth is there were many widows in Israel and in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And Jesus said there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now when the people heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. And they got up and drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed away through the midst of them and went on his way. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever heard something in a sermon that made you mad? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe something the preacher said. It might be just one sentence. It might be a throwaway line. It might be the whole darn thing that just makes the hair on your neck stand up straight. Well, I kind of hope so, actually. (laughs) I kind of hope you've had that experience of being agitated by something you hear from the pulpit. I hope that's happened to you, because if it hasn't, then you probably haven't been listening to very good preaching. Now, I don't mean every week. Of course, not every week. If you got angry every week when you came to church and from this general vicinity, then that's not good preaching. That's not good at all. Um, Everybody, every once in a while, though, needs to be a little agitated by something that they hear at church. Um, Now, sometimes, uh, this is true, I've known some ministers who sort of feel it in their bones. They like to stir things up, and they like to be provocative, and they like to sort of push the edge. They kind of feel like that's their calling as if they were prophets themselves. Um, Everything for them is a crisis, and everything has to be dealt with right now, and you have to change the way you think about this and that. It really tramples across several boundaries, and the truth is, for most congregations, that gets a little old. (laughs) You can only cry wolf in a sermon so many times before people sort of stop believing you. So sometimes you might get mad also um, because you hear something that makes you wrestle. and It makes you grapple with your convictions, maybe moral convictions, political convictions. Morally, intellectually, you, you wrestle with something, and that's hard. I don't know if you remember a church member we had here, Jim Beard. Jim and Pat Beard were members here. They both died in recent years. Jim died in 2014. Uh, Jim was a, a researcher at UT Medical and was an expert in the science behind addictions and what causes the brain to become chemically dependent on things. And Jane, Jim and I had a great visit in my office one time where he talked about how he, much he expected his church and how much he expected his minister... To challenge him and to push him in areas where he didn't necessarily want to go with his faith. He said, If I'm not challenged in a sermon, then that sermon is really, he said, just like oral bubble gum. It's something that you chew on for a little while and it might taste nice for a few minutes, but it's got no nutrition and you spit it out as you walk out of church. Jim was a very forthright guy, by the way. (laughs) May he rest in peace. You know, he said he comes, he wants to be challenged every week in his sermon based on politics and things going on in the world, which is the opposite of what some other people want when they come to church on a Sunday morning. They don't come to be challenged, they come to be comforted because life is hard and it's a rough and tumble world and the news is each week filled with controversial issues and politics and do I have to hear all that stuff all over again when I come to church on a Sunday morning? Some people get agitated when that happens. And here's the truth, and I just have to acknowledge that this, that some people get angry or upset in a sermon because the minister gets it wrong. <laughs> the minister just gets it wrong. He or she reads his or her own preferences or politics or ideas into a text and preaches that as if it's the Word of God, and it's not. And that happens. I've looked back at some of the sermons that I've preached at certain times in my career, and I think, well, that was definitely more of the gospel of Will than the gospel of Jesus. And that happens. I hope that's forgivable. Here's the truth, though. Every once in a while, you'll hear something in a sermon that makes you maybe agitated or even angry, and you really need to ask why. Is it that the minister has botched it and made a mistake and kind of preached their own beliefs? Or. Or has the minister faithfully preached and and interpreted God's Word, and you don't like it? You don't like what the Bible says. You don't like what the Scriptures say about this or that issue or this or that topic or this or that attitude or approach to life or whatever it may be, whatever ethical problem, social situation. You don't like what Scripture says about that. God challenges you. God challenges you because maybe something in your own faith or your own life or your own politics doesn't align with God's will in Scripture. And so you are challenged, and you don't like that. And every once in a while, that will upset you in a sermon. And again, hopefully not every week, but every once in a while, that's going to happen. And if it doesn't, then your ministers probably aren't doing their jobs very faithfully. You've probably heard this old saying. There's a saying about the Bible and about the Holy Spirit and how God speaks to us, and it's this that God will comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And what that means, of course, is that in you, if you are afflicted, and some people in our congregation are right now, if you're afflicted by some Really big family problem, or um, by some kind of great trial going on in your workplace, or some kind of illness, or anything where your heart hurts, that I promise God will speak to you. God will speak to you through scripture, God will speak to you in prayer, God will come to you with really that peace that passes all understanding. I mean, there is no better comfort than when the Holy Spirit comes and just wraps around you. And you feel God's love because you're in a particularly difficult trial at that time in your life. There's no better comfort than that. I remember when I was in seminary, I went through a kind of a rough patch. And I remember being in the basement of the library, which is where I like to study because it was really dark. And it sort of matched my own mood in that season of life. There's nobody else around. And I can remember just opening up a Bible in a moment of sort of exasperation. And it just fell to Luke 1, and my eyes sort of just went immediately to this passage in Luke 1, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. And I just felt this tender mercy from God, and it was this light coming into a type of darkness. And God will comfort you. God will comfort you when you need it. Reading through Scripture and seeking God in prayer. But then also, if in your walk with Jesus, maybe you are comfortable, even too comfortable, and that that comfort then leads into complacency, I can promise you that Christ will challenge you. Christ will challenge you in love, but challenge you in ways that are clear and sometimes firm, and maybe they even hurt a little bit. Challenging you to grow Think about Jesus in his everyday ministry, what he did. He had those great words of comfort and that great comforting touch onto people who were just broken in body and in mind, and he gave them such comfort, but then also did he not have words of sometimes stinging rebuke for people who were being hypocritical or or cruel or not compassionate. Jesus could be pretty strong in how he approached people who needed to be afflicted in their comfort. And so God will do that to you, I can promise you, and sometimes it will happen in a sermon. And I'm grateful for this, at least for sure. I'm grateful that if you have ever gotten angry with me or maybe one of us in a sermon, that you have not tried to kill us as a result of that. Thank you. I'd much rather open up an email than an envelope full of some kind of white powder the following week. After a sermon, and I know perhaps maybe you daydream about one of us perhaps tripping and going face down these stairs, or, or maybe, thank you, not for, for hauling us up to the bell tower and throwing us off of that after some sermon that you didn't like. Which is exactly what happened to Jesus. Here in Luke 4, this is the first recorded sermon of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. his first public ministry event. And you know what happened in this reading. What he said here made some people really, really angry. Very angry. Verse 28 says, they were filled with rage. Now, this Greek word is fascinating because it does mean serious, serious anger, but there's also a connotation to it of being drunk. Being drunk with rage. So angry that you cannot think coherently. Maybe you've seen somebody out like this, maybe out at a football game tailgating or somewhere in public or maybe at a party. Sadly, maybe even in private. Have you ever seen somebody who is a mean drunk? Somebody who is so angry that they just want to fight and push everything down in their way? I mean, we see it all the time with a mob mentality whether it was some of those protests in the summer of 2020 that turned violent and burned businesses down, or the people who broke into the Capitol on the 6th of January who wanted to physically harm legislatures as if we lived in some kind of banana republic. Mobs make people drunk with rage, and so they cannot see straight, and they want to destroy things and destroy people. So those people were filled with rage at Jesus' first sermon, that they took him out of the synagogue and they marched and pushed him up to the brow of the hill, to the edge of the cliff, and they wanted to push him off and end him right there. We think about this happening at the end of his ministry, but here it is right at the very beginning. Why? Because Jesus preached about the radical grace of God. The all-consuming, all-forgiving, all-reaching grace of Almighty God. That's what he preached here that made them so mad. Remember from last week, if you do remember how Jesus unrolled the scroll of Isaiah from Isaiah 61, he claimed this messianic identity saying, this is about me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor and preach release, to give the blind their sight back. This is about me. He claimed all of this. I am the Messiah. And it says that everybody was so pleased And there was kind of this buzz around him. And then a few minutes passed, and people started to think a little bit. And they said, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's son? We know this guy. Isn't this Jesus, the one who grew up here in Nazareth? How can he claim to be the Messiah? The mood changes on a dime. He can't be the one, really? Why is he saying that? So Jesus, he knows what they're thinking, and he replies with a couple of different proverbs. He says, now you're going to say to me, prove it. Physician, heal thyself. Well, that was an old saying back in Jesus's day that was actually filled with sarcasm. Physician, heal thyself. In other words, okay, you're such a great, smart doctor, then you practice on yourself before you before you practice on us, prove, prove to us that you do know what you're talking about and that you can say what you're saying. Prove it. Prove yourself worthy and then we'll believe in you. He also knows that people have heard about the healing and the miracles that he has done in other towns like Capernaum. So he says that you want me to do those signs of authority now that if I prove myself to you, then you'll believe in me. Remember, back just before this, I mean, these were what the temptations in the desert was all about. The devil trying to tempt Jesus to prove himself, use some kind of power, use some kind of glory to prove who you are so that people will believe in you. So he's tempted to do this all the time. He quotes another proverb here that a prophet is never accepted in his own hometown because he is so well known that they know you and they know your people, they know you so well they won't revere you as a prophet. I don't know if you ever grew up in a small, anybody grow up in a small town here? Lots of people did, maybe before they moved to this area. Germantown was a small town at one point. We've lived in two small towns prior to to moving to this area, and you know this, in a small town, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's Parents, everybody knows everybody's children, their personality, their politics, their problems. Everybody knows what kind of car you drive. So that when you drive down Main Street, you have to wave at everybody because you know them and they see you. You have to have one hand free so that you can wave at everybody. If you don't have one hand free, there is a nod you can do. You can do this. Hey, what's up? I remember having a neighbor just, just... talked to me one night, said, I passed you on the street today, and you didn't even wave at me, that you do that in a small town. We lived in this small town with Main Street. Everybody knew our dog who would frequently run away, and so people would put our dog in the back seat or in the back of the truck and bring him home. Even the police knew our dog and would bring our dog home for us. That's what life is like in a small town. 2,000 years ago, if you lived in a peasant village, a small town in Ancient Israel and Nazareth, then you worked in a trade like carpentry, then everybody knew you. They knew your people, your grandparents, your parents. They knew your family, your house, your animals. They knew Jesus. And they wanted him to prove himself to earn their support. Jesus then touches on two combustible topics that every preacher knows will make at least a few people angry politics and religion. So the people back then had their deeply ingrained assumptions about both politics and religion. They wanted to have their Messiah be this great political leader, this political savior, this figure who would come in and rescue them politically, who would ride in and be a warrior against the Romans, against these foreigners who were occupying our land Free us of them so we can set up our own government and our own political system according to our ways. They wanted their Messiah to be their political savior. On the religion front, people back then knew, they just knew they had their assumptions and they wanted to guard who God was and they wanted to guard salvation for themselves and the people they preferred or people they said were worthy and who deserved salvation. God chose us, they said, and they were. They were God's chosen people, but it it morphed into this type of superiority. They said, God chose us. God cares for us first and foremost. That was the prevailing mindset in Jesus's day. And then here comes Jesus from the very beginning disrupting their whole understanding of both politics and theology and God. Jesus talks about these two prophets from the Old Testament. This is where he gets into religion and politics. He talks about these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, two most famous prophets from the Old Testament. Who did they help when there was a crisis in Israel for the Jews? A a three-and-a-half-year drought and famine. And then all these spreading diseases like leprosy. Who got saved and helped? Two Gentiles, two non-Jews, two outsiders, two foreigners. This starving widow in Zarephath, she is the one that Elijah helped. Elisha healed Naaman, this uh, leprous commander from an outside army. So what Jesus is doing here, and the people pick up on this, what Jesus is doing is, yes, he is claiming to be the Messiah, but then he refuses to give in to their demands that he should prove himself stake out his authority, and then he challenges their assumptions about God by saying that he has come to be a Messiah. He has come to offer salvation and radical grace to everybody. Foreigners, Jews, people outside, inside, everybody. That he has come to be a Messiah, a Savior for anybody and everybody who will listen and who will follow him. And of course, that's us. That is us. That we are the outsiders that Jesus came to save. That he will have compassion and mercy on whomever he wants. He'll love and heal people that aren't worthy of it, and he'll it will, he will give it to them as an act of grace, whether they are Christians or not. And that's, that's all of us. We were outsiders to the covenant. Of God's grace and blessing and mercy until Jesus came, our prophet came and widened that whole circle of mercy and grace. We're that starving widow. We are that leprous commander, that leprous outsider who needs healing, and Jesus, our prophet, brings it to us. And the people around Jesus in Nazareth on that day, they heard loudly and clearly. They weren't hard of hearing in their ears. They were hard of hearing in their hearts. Jesus came, they understood now, to open up salvation to anyone who would believe in him and anyone who would follow him, Jew or Gentile, insider, outsider, sidewinder, heretic, prodigal, crook, felon, poor, rich, enemy, opponent, you name them, him, her, anyone, Anyone who turns to Jesus for healing and salvation will have it from him as an act of grace. It is this message of radical grace that whoever turns to Jesus will be forgiven by God. And that radical grace sometimes makes people angry. Amen.
2: Friends, we've been blessed to hear God's word read and proclaimed to us. And now I invite us all to stand and affirm our faith together in one voice using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated.
4: All morning, with each and every one of us, God has been trying to have a conversation with us, whether it's through song, through a Bible study, through a sermon. He's been talking. So I invite you to join me in prayer as we talk back. Jesus, you're right. There are moments that we come to realize you are not the Savior we want you to be. You are bigger and you are better than that. And so this morning we bring to you our challenges and our comforts. Knowing and trusting, because we have a lot of life experience and trust, the witness of Scripture, that you are Lord of all of it. And your grace and your goodness covers and transforms all of it. So Lord, this morning we think with heavy hearts about the people who are experiencing unique challenges in the country of Ukraine. Being tossed to and fro like pawns in a geopolitical game that isn't right. We ask that you would keep them safe as they worry about what the next hour will bring. We also think about our sisters and brothers all up and down the eastern seaboard who are digging themselves out of a massive blizzard, the millions that are without power right now. We ask that you would restore it to them, give them warmth, give them nutrition, give them safety. Lord, we ask that you would help all who are emergency service personnel to be empowered with the strength and the creativity needed to help others, to shovel people out of the depths of snow, and to bring healing and wholeness wherever it is needed. And Lord, we think about the challenges within our own community of safety, where there is violence. There's so many businesses are experiencing shortages, not only of personnel, but of profits and are wondering what they've got to do to keep going. And Lord, as we sit with all the challenges, we also bring before you our comforts. We thank you for the beauty of this day, for the nourishment that you've already provided for us, not only physically, but spiritually. We thank you for the people in this room, our family and faith that encourages and builds and strengthens us to go from this place to be your people. And we thank you for feeding us with that nourishment, that medicine that we needed most, knowing and trusting that you are so present and that you are healing and working through every moment of this morning to heal us, to go and be your hands and feet. And so we give to you these challenges and these comforts. And the multitude that we don't even have the words yet to pray. And we lift them all to you with the words that you gave us. Saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now as those who have been fed by the goodness of God, we have been empowered to not just be passive recipients of his goodness, but active participants of it. And we do that in a lot of different ways, and one of the ways we do is through the giving of tithes and offerings. This is in obedience to Scripture, in gratitude to God, and as also a declaration of who is Lord of our lives, Jesus Christ. And so I invite our ushers now to come forward and receive our gifts to God. Thank you.
2: Let us again turn to Almighty God in prayer. Gracious God, we offer you these resources that we bring, knowing that you will take them, that you will bless them and multiply them and use them to meet the world's needs. We offer to you also our very lives. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us to participate in the life-giving work for the sake of your kingdom. In Christ's name, we offer these prayers ourselves and our resources. Amen.
0: To worship with our congregational meeting, and so invite those who are staying for our congregational meeting to please be seated. There were annual reports available in the narthex when you arrived.